the logo is an identifier. It is not a brand. Yeah, yeah. The logo is a way for a person to identify the products and bring and build brand loyalty. It's like, where do you sit in the marketplace? What is your voice? What are you trying to do? What is your audience? What is your mission statement? What is your tagline? How are you going to create an emotive response for a consumer? And then once you've worked this out, you can then start to build the visuals around that. Fitness is what I said about universities missing a trick. They focus so heavily on the shiny, polished house that they forget about the foundations which upon that house is built. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Ben Mottershead. This podcast really opened my eyes up to brand strategy, the thinking behind logo designs, branding and a company. There's loads of little golden nuggets of information in this episode as well. It got me fired up about the strategy side of Creative Waffle and what my target audience is and where I should be going and heading in what direction with the podcast. So by the end of the podcast you will also learn a bit more about brand strategy and why it is so important. We also discuss how it can be used to get a job without even doing work, without even working with a client, how you can get a client based on how much knowledge you know of brand strategy. It's a powerful thing. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast. This show is brought to you by Awesome Merchandise. Thank you very much again for them for sponsoring the show. You can grab a ticket to our live event on the 15th of November down in the description below. I'll leave that down there. Please do go and check it out. It's going to be an awesome event down in London. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for checking it out and I'll see you at the end of the show. Let's uh, get into the podcast. There we go. Lovely. Awesome! This is it. Yeah. Do you do, um, I guess you did the intro afterwards. Yeah. You do it. Yeah. Uh, you're uh, I do it. I do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do it if you want. No, no, it's not wrong. The number one design podcast in the UK. It's, is it? It's not. I don't know, it might be. Yeah, I guess Ian Padgett's probably number one, doesn't he? good geek. I don't know. He posted in his group the other day. No one seemed to know about it. What, the podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe then. He might, I mean, he does, he gets, he's... Yeah, he gets some pretty good names, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, big ones. Like, I haven't actually listened to it. Consistently so big like, ones. It's like, yes, well, it's just like copy like Collins and all oh. that kind of stuff. It's, um, but no, I mean, he hasn't done any video. He doesn't do video, though, does he? That I know no. He, did, no. he just keeps it all to like audio. Yeah. I suppose if you know what you could. I think he will eventually. But, uh... but yeah, I imagine that when he, um, it depends how he's on camera. Some people just aren't very like adept to speaking on camera yeah but I also know like I was speaking to him the other day and he's working part time mm. and he's like doing his freelance every few days of the week because I think yeah. he's got like his kid now and he has to like bring in steady income yeah um, bills. whilst I have no no life so I can just I can just take risks <laughs> same and not, here not care. On, that, on like the train together <laughs> it's good yeah 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 um, well, no it's all good man here's the podcast now I've got to clap oh you got the audio sync it up sync it up okay what well, do you use? Uh, iMovie use iMovie? <laughs> yeah make it premiere what are you doing in your life? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've got the I've got Creative Cloud. I just never tried to use oh, it. Oh, the Premiere is so much better. Yeah, I'm sure it's it is. Just in terms of like everything, but yeah, it's fine. I just uh, I, need, I need to get on that. It's so easy to use. Yeah. You could you, you could learn to use it in about twenty minutes. It's it, just in terms I of like using that. It's, it's honestly <laughs> it's a, ed, like because I worked in like obviously animation film agency for four years. It's editing is a purely creative skill. Right. I mean, there's a lot of technicality to it. But honestly, like I've always considered it much more of a creative. You need like the creative eye to edit. Like you need to develop your eye for editing because using the software, clip, clip, slice, move, yeah, yeah. isn't that tricky? But actually, doing it is much more of a creative process. Anyway, yeah. I know what you mean. Where clips go and things, yeah, and the story of the. Yeah, I mean, with a podcast, probably right because you've just got the audio tracks and then the, the video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, that's the thing. I mean, there's things online to do like just for audio, like podcast audio podcasts, aren't there? Yeah. So it's pretty. Pretty chill. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's all good. 
But yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Isn't Glad it? to be back after oh, three yeah. years. Three years almost, yeah. Two years probably. Worth. When did you start? You started end of 2017, didn't you? Be- yeah, beginning of 2017, I think. I think it was like January. Okay, so then. if I was the ninth per roughly now person. Yeah. This then... is 151, this episode. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're nearly three years in. Man, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot yeah. of like steady, steady. I've missed one episode every week. I missed Did one. you miss one? What yeah. was that for? I don't know. I just. Can we worried? I was pretty down. I guess. So I think it might, it might have been. Uh, I, I, I think it's like 60, 60 something, 68 maybe. Um, so some episode in the 60s was really bad because I just did it myself, didn't have a guest, and it was last minute, I had to throw something out there. Probably didn't know what I was talking about, so I just put one out there. And um, the, the week after, I thought, I still don't have a guest, I probably, probably just won't be able to do one. Just, um, <laughs> you could just ramble on on um, audio yeah. for about 10 minutes. Well, that's, about well, that's what I do now, and the Mark the Waffle stuff, which is like a little side blog thing. Um, but you got to stop with the expansion. I know. <laughs> too many, too many things. Master the one, and then yeah. move on. Master, that's another podcast. Masters of one. Is it? Yeah. What's that one? So uh, the guys in America, um, they go to sign events in America. Oh, it's not yours. It's another. No, no, oh, no. I was gonna say that. One. <laughs> I wish it was mine. They've got a good, uh, yeah, good audience and um, big podcast as well. Masters of one. Yeah. I need cool. to get more. Po- I mean, because I cycle to work every day, I tend to just listen to music. Yeah. And then when I'm in work, and I just never get around to listening to anything because I'm so busy. So it's um. It's understandable. But yeah, I need to start listening to more podcasts. I mean, apparently, like the the most um market is now where advising everyone through a podcast. So it's the easiest way to reach an audience. That's it. Um, yeah. And also sometimes the most creative way. I found the oh, there's an amazing podcast called um. Oh, it's called something David or someone poet Joe or something like that. I, I have to find it, but it's basically. Redeveloped it, it's like but uses like it talks about politics but uses like spoken word and amazing sound production. I'll dig it out before the That's end cool. of the podcast, but he um, he, the entire format of it is so original, yeah. it, it's pretty. I, walk, I listened to like five episodes back to back, it was just so interesting. Um, and I think that's the thing now though, it's about you seem to have to like generate it's about generating content in a new way because it's like there's so many podcasts out there, it's like how yeah. they differentiate themselves. So, like, obviously, Honest Entrepreneurs does like six minute segments, it's like really short, condensed, like quite like usually answers singular questions mm. I found and then lowly it's a bit more long form blah blah obviously you've got your own it's just like happy then you've kind of got to look at the landscape and be like, how can I differentiate in a new way yeah that's the thing I've been struggling with so I guess my unique selling point is one one that I'm young and, and coming from, from a slightly different perspective but also um, now doing it in person as well mm. it's really good I don't think there's any other I don't think there's any other design podcast to do it in person no, I think. Well, I think I it's because I think it's because ease, isn't it? It's like yeah, yeah. it's why you don't get many. Um, don't do it's why you don't yeah. get many design, um, like so. You got like Will Patterson, people like that. Why mm. you don't have them trekking all around London trying to do in-person interviews and stuff like yeah. that? Because one, you need the equipment. It takes a lot of effort. From like myself working in obviously motion graphics, animation, video for quite a few years, the amount of kit you need, the amount of kit that it takes to carry across yeah. to, it, to do it well because anyone can get like I mean mobile phones are good now but yeah anyone yeah, can get two mobile phones yeah. and a little zoom like <laughs> it, it depends on like what your end goal is but I think something from that experience ingrained in me that like production value is super important to actually generate an audience because otherwise I could stand in front of people and just be like phone in my hand just like film myself but and that's great for like a time and place but I think if you're trying to actually build a reputable kind of legacy yeah, you really need people to associate your name with quality. Um, uh, there's a reason why the the um, sorry, no, it's your tattoo. That's awesome. Oh yeah, the yeah. coffee, I draw pictures. That's brilliant. Yeah, so I never forget about my caffeine addiction. Yeah, that's uh, good coffee. Yeah, thank you very much. That's alright. Uh, but what's I saying? Something about 
Oh, there's, yeah, there's a reason why the Dixon Baxi one, which was they mm. shot themselves, and it was amazing sort of cameras and the grade, color grading was fantastic. The only issue with that one was my um, was my audio, personal audio, because yeah. their audio was great, but I did my own audio and it was it didn't work. And I think, but that's why it's just trial and error, and it's um, I mean my. Um, housemate bought a fifteen hundred quid camera. He hasn't used it yet. But he said he bought it ages ago. But the intention was to start doing that, like, playing around, start doing little filmic stuff. Yeah. I know it's there. So if I actually wanted to go out and do some filming, for, like DNA D and stuff like that. I could do. Um, but I think it's also. I mean, it, it's very easy. I find to get pulled into multiple directions. And when we last spoke, I think I was at you know in my like drapling phase where it was yeah. like, oh, you just got to do it. You just got to fun doing it. Blah blah blah. But then, <laughs> I think the problem with that is you end up kind of the issue with my entire career looking back from this this age where I'm in it like six years now I've tried to do way too much with not enough capacity and I've got pulled in multiple directions one of the problems with my own social accounts was they were a manifestation of multiple types of aesthetics and working with different types of people Mm. and trying to do different types of projects and it created a very diluted mixed tone and from that kind of trial and error I'm sort of like that's like what I was saying to you earlier, I'm trying to kind of put a reset on it almost with a sort of more, much more like business-minded, mature kind of outlook of going, that was maybe great in the time when I was trying to experiment and work out what I enjoyed, but now I'm kind of past that. I need to kind of take a big step back to be able to go forward further, uh, which is terrifying. I think a lot of people, especially creatives, don't get scared of that idea of like pressing the reset button and going, actually, I need to put a hold on this, move backwards and then reassess how I can get further forwards. And I think there's definitely a culture in industry to just keep pressing and keep trying and keep testing and keep experimenting. Yeah. But if you don't have a direction, you don't have like a strategy as such, it doesn't really pay off in your favour because you end up getting very exhausted. Um, and I feel like it's detrimental to people's mental health to just have that many, try that many things, fail that many times. And there is that age old point which is like, I'm not, what is it, I haven't... Um, I haven't, is it, I haven't succeeded. I've just failed a hundred times more than you. Oh, it's like the, oh yeah, no, it's um, the bloke who made the made the light bulb, made the light bulb or the electric. Yeah, it's but that's what I mean. It's like he said, he said he made a thousand prototypes before he made the real things. What he's trying to say, and uh, and, it, and it worked a thousand time, thousands time, thousands, thousands of it. I don't know. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's like there is that kind of say, age-old um, saying, which is is kind of true, and there is something to be said with perseverance and to like not really give and keep. You know, like the idea of like find your tribe, keep in your lane, or develop your niche. All these kind of buzzwords, that almost every like influencer pushes out these days, yeah. um, to they basically turn into white noise, and it's just like, all right, awesome. Um, but at the same time, I think you've got to. It comes with a sense of self obligation and actually like self-control and to kind of be like recognize when you're maybe not in the right lane which is kind of what I did and I sort of recognized that maybe I wasn't in the right lane and I just stayed in that lane for so long I hadn't I couldn't see anything else so getting out of that environment was probably the the best things I could do Um, and it's also what I'd suggest to other people who have similar issues it's just like if you feel like you're trapped and you're not going in you're not getting anywhere maybe it's because you're not actually in the right lane for what you want to be doing and you need to park up and actually assess the landscape so to speak yeah, and then yeah. jump back on um it's, like, it's like going wrong when you're driving somewhere so, yeah, yeah well, it's, it's hilarious since i've gone and started doing more copywriting and writing i'm just full of really metaphors these days like my it. entire life yeah. is just one big string of metaphors about how life can be lived it is it's the way it is though uh, it makes sense when you do metaphors it, it's yeah. easy to understand isn't it 
Well, I did one in, I'd, I'd, I'd post an article on LinkedIn earlier about like, the importance of why university courses should be teaching strategy. I'm like, I'm, I, I, I love my time at uni, but it has got some glaring issues and faults. And I think, and within that, I use this metaphor about saying that um, if design is the beautifully crafted house, then the strategy is the foundations upon which it's built. And if you have solid foundations, the house will but like, well, the house will withstand storms, it will withstand weather, it won't fall down, it will always be there. And you can build a massive extension on top of that house. And if the foundations are strong, it will continue to remain. Remain. If you rush the process of strategy, you rush those foundations, you don't put any time into them, then the whole house will come crashing down around you. Mm. And it's kind of like, I just I, I think metaphors are just an easy way of explaining things in, make people visualize. Yeah. So it's, it's cool though. I think like, um, it's just interesting because I mean, looking back at, what we spoke about, I think, like, so when you were first starting out with your podcast and when we first came on, was the where I'm at now is so radically different, and that's kind of it. I think it's why it's all it's why I do encourage people to do like to create content and actually film themselves and do stuff like that. And even though like, it's just a case of every year at the end of the year, do a, a video diary to yourself and then see how far you've come in that space of time because it'd be right, it'd be interesting, gives you time to like sort of evaluate, see how far you've come, and maybe where you've made mistakes. Um, but no, just interesting times in the industry, I think. It's... Yeah, well, definitely. Whenever I do this yearly thing, um, I do I t- try to sit down with myself and have a little think. I, I, I realise when I set new goals for this year, I always go completely left of them, or that's right, yeah. completely right of them. Uh, it's just, when, yeah, when you set a goal for a whole year, it's hard to keep to it. It's, it's, you realise things are, actually, that's probably not what I should be doing. I should be going down this road. or So it's always... Going back to metaphors, it's like driving on a highway or a motorway and then realising you have to go left or turn off or to go on a roundabout. Yeah, and, and I think that's a mistake a lot. I'm noticing a lot of people, especially Instagram, social media are making when they're setting themselves up to be influencers and being these kind of people. They talk very strongly about staying in your lane and having confidence to stay in your, your lane. Yeah. But it kind of ignores the fact that life isn't well. Life isn't a highway. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's like it, it isn't. It's not a straight path. You have life turmoils. You have personal issues. You have career issues. You have all these things that are basically like roadblock blocks and roundabouts and all sorts of things. And to just say to people, you just need the perseverance to actually just stay in your lane. Kind of to me, does it in a disservice towards what those people might have to be having to deal with. Um, and it's not to say like I don't really disagree with the. the point that like like consistency and perseverance and just being true to yourself and your goals are important especially when running a business and developing a brand but that doesn't mean if something happens in your life and you have to move direction that you've like failed or anything like that it just means like i said at the start it might involve you putting the reset button at some point taking a step off and then looking at how you can get back on the right path yeah I mean, what, what i realized with watching a lot of these uh, influencer people on youtube and a lot of people that been talking and saying things, you know, inspirational quotes on Instagram. It, it's all very controversial in context. So things, things can overlap. Things can contradict each other. Can be very hypocritical. But they're all very specific for specific things. Yeah. It's like saying you should be staying in your lane, stay, stay focused for this thing, as in doing a weekly podcast, yeah. staying, you know, continuing to do it every single week. But then you know you might need to change up the branding, or you might need to change up the name, yeah. or you might need to change up the guest type, you know, yeah. or the format. Um, but I think this is where it comes back to, and this is why I've kind of, in my professional life, I've moved more towards strategy because I kind of um, realised it's just more interesting. Like you build, like it's essentially strategy is, the, you, the, is brand building in its purest sense and it creates a foundation and a platform to build off of that 
and actually have an end goal and the correct framework in place to actually really push a brand and push a product or push a platform. Um, and for someone like myself who I've always been kind of a multidisciplinary, I'm very interested in people, I'm very interested in other industries and research and I've never been the most attentive to details a designer like yeah. I've never been someone who's been great at proofreading or like that kind of things even though <laughs> even though like I, I love to design I still love like that side of things I've tried in the last like sort of year I've tried to become a much more strategic person I've started like introducing a lot more strategy plans into my own design work um, because I kind of realized that every top 50 design agency has a strategy team and often the reason is for that is because you can't have good design without good strategy or you because you just create it's just hollow work it's just anyone can make aesthetically nice looking work yeah but strategies are of identifying and solving problems and bring identifying problems and developing solutions for that problem and the visual aspect of it is the catalyst which allows that message to be carried forward to an audience um, if you don't have a strategy, you just have a message, but you don't necessarily understand what that message is trying to do. Um, so essentially, what I've I've been trying to do is not like I'm I'm not going to take the leap to become a, like a strategist and call myself a strategist and do all that stuff because it's just like I don't have the experience to really do that. But all I've done is start to introduce strategy into much more of my client conversations and day to day life and actually working environments and starting to like eat like put. In much more importance on the strategy side of things while developing all the visual aspects and then eventually I might move and just solely lose the visual side and just work with creatives to okay. actually like develop the actual visuals. So, so tell, give us an example, so uh, say Nike for example, mm. Nike however you want to say, uh, they got Just Do It. It's Nike. Nike, yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. I worked with them. <laughs> <laughs> Adidas is Adidas. Yeah. People say Adidas, but it's not it's Adidas. No, it's Adidas and it's Nike yeah. because, yeah, I, I said Nike and then I worked on them with them and um, everyone said Nike. Yeah. And I was like, I can't be picking up the phone yeah, to like, yeah. a, a, a marketing director and going Nike because they'll just be like, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, so going um, with... I was going to say, just do it, the strategy, yeah. the, the name of you know, the slogan, that's the brand message. Yeah. And if they if you talk about strategy in the terms of Nike, what have they Nike? What, what have they done? What have, what's their strategy to push it out? Well, Nike is a bit crazy because I mean, essentially, you've got their tagline, which is just do it, and their mission. I'm not entirely sure what their mission statement is, but their mission statement, I guarantee, is something a bit more complex. And the mission statement is normally, like, you know, like a paragraph which says, "We are this. We do this for this person okay. because of this." Um, and I'd say Nike's probably. Uh, at the moment they seem to be re you can't say reposition but they seem to be I've always considered Nike to be te technology leaders and they innovate and they actually put a lot of money into R&D and actually technology and sport and I feel like Nike I mean really as you get into the crux of it Nike's probably overall game is to bring sport to the world yeah. it's like if you, I'm not entirely sure them as a case study but I think if you look at the history of Nike, I mean, I'm, I might be wrong on this, but when Nike first was came out, it was essentially considered like a budget store. Like it wasn't considered like a, like a high-end yeah. sports company. It was Blue Ribbon, wasn't it? It was Blue Ribbon, yeah. yeah. And then it obviously um, developed its branding and so on. But I think this is also... It's a story that as well. Sorry to cut you off. No, it's what it is. Yeah. But no, no it's, it's like, that's the thing. But this is the whole point is a logo design, for instance, is a, a tagline and all these things are just a starting point to a long journey and to becoming a brand mm. you don't like i mean i think it was um paul rand the people like that say the logo is an identifier it is not 
a brand. Yeah, and yeah. The logo is a way for a person to identify the products and bring and build brand loyalty. Once you have that, you are at the start of your journey to create a successful brand. And Nike have got to this point where they're almost like an, what's it called? Not an obelisk, but like a, um, what's the word? Can't think of the word. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's like, but they're just all-encompassing. And right. I think it... So they've got monopoly, you mean? They're the monopoly, yeah. They're basically yeah. like the monopolized entire industry. Because like, yeah. don't get me wrong, Adidas have their target audience, Puma have theirs, Asics have theirs, everyone, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like Nike is the scene, is, is seen as the market leader because it holds themselves in that sense. It has multiple touch points, each with their own like direct strategies. It has multiple audiences. Multiple, so you've got like, for instance, um, you've got like, the Air Jordan brands and stuff like that. Massive in- More collectible shoes. More collectible, more like, you've got a massive in streetwear. They have them, all their collaboration projects, they have all this kind of thing. And I wouldn't, because it's like, it's such a complex network. I wouldn't necessarily be able to say, pinpoint exactly what Nike's overarching strategy is because it feels like They've took, basically, it's this idea that you um, have three types of companies. You have um, scissor companies, paper, rock companies, and paper companies. And right. brand and they're in a circle. And brands are always trying to develop between them. And um, Nike, to me, is essentially a paper company, which is very wide, not so deep, and it covers everything. Okay. And so when you're like um, a scissors company, you're much smaller, you're much more agile. Um, you can adapt to things quicker. You can have much more, like I guess, um, control over different variables. And if you have enough of them, they have the ability to cut apart paper because they don't have the maybe the hierarchy, the bureaucracy. They can be, like I said, they can be a lot more agile. Mm. Um, but those companies will be smashed apart by rock companies, which are a bit more formulated. They're a bit more. They have their strategies a bit more firmer in place, etc. And they have a bit of a better idea of what they're doing. They're maybe trying to up-level themselves to be a bit more global or have more of it, um, an, an annual revenue. Mm. Um, and then, so they do one thing, do they? So yeah, that might be when they become a bit more focused and they're a bit more like, they know what their audience is, their strategies taught them, what their audience is, what their, te- what their um, demographics are, um, what their goals are. They try, they may be running successfully for generating profit for a few years and now they try to up-level to become bigger, to actually have more um, systems in place. And then from that, a rock company wants to become a, can become a paper company, which is basically like you're looking at like you know Virgin or Nike or Craft yeah. or whoever. But they're ve- and they're very far spreading and very far reaching. But they're much thinner in terms of like um, the depth of that company because they know exactly what they're trying to do and they encompass everything. Um, so and it's just a vision. It's just a complete cycle of yeah. like what happens. Um, and to me, Nike is like. A, for example, like a paper company in a sense of how far reaching it is, how many divisions it has, how many, and that's the thing with strategy is that every, like, so you think about Nike and how many divisions it has, each one of those divisions will have its own marketing direct strategy, yeah, its true. own sales strategy, its own, and like, I'm sure like you get someone, you get, actually get some of these baby, an actual like who owns their own like strategy consultancy, stuff like that, they can come along and be like, actually Nike's goal is this, because they might know Nike inside and out and be like, this is who they are, this is their tagline, this is what they're trying to do, this is what they're, blah 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 yeah. um, but this is the thing when you get to become a paper company you have multiple strategies in place and each one of them is trying to hit a different consumer a different audience a different like has their own goals and their own reach mm. um, and it becomes more complex and it's I think we were talking earlier about the idea of um, branded houses and house of brands is the idea like you get something like Kraft who's a house of brands got Cadbury's yeah. blah 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 um, 
it's the same thing. It's like they all have their own marketing budgets, their own marketing strategies, their own actually brand strategies in place. And they're all trying to hit on different audiences for the benefit of the main key brand. So I think I'd have to basically go and do a lot more research into Nike because I like I literally like do not know enough about them as a company. So go on a different example then, Coke, yeah. Coca Cola. They got are they are they a rock brand? Are they? Are they what? A rock brand. No, I'd say Coke. I mean, how many brands does Coke own? Okay, yeah, good point. I mean, that's that's the quintessential house of brands. Sure. They have they have um, uh, Fever Tree. They have Sweat Water. Uh, maybe not Fiji Water. Some of them got water companies. They have um, uh, Thingy Tea. Yeah. Um, okay, forget that one. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, 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 I think I'm traffic. So would would Coca Cola the, the actual red the red because oh, they got Coke Diet. They got loads of brands. They've forget got it, forget it. Coke Diet, right. Coke Zero. Uh, okay, Creative Waffle <laughs> as as a yeah. brand. That's one. That's one thing that I'd like to push on its own. Obviously, they've got a few different. So, okay, I'll be honest with you. The way I want Creative Waffle to be the biggest podcast network. So the network being Creative Waffle podcast. Yeah. So so like a TV channel. Creative Waffle podcast being a TV show. Then I got Mark the Waffle, which is a bit more of a personal sort of diary thing. Uh, that's another TV show, and then I have some sort of thing which I'm working on. Then yeah, yeah. So those three shows on the YouTube channel and on the audio platforms. Um, they are the TV shows on the channel. Yeah. So how how do I market or push that uh, as one crazy waffle brand? So that would very much come down to what, and this is basically where like I'm saying like my strategy is actually quite a long process because what yeah. you actually try to do is position yourself. Basically, you need to pinpoint who your audience is. What what so they always say, well, the best exercise you can do is actually walk yourself through the day of like your dream listener so with the podcast it's like yes yeah, so you got a dream listener who's yeah, so, so, and then you, you sit down and you literally imagine every aspect of their day so like where they wake up what sort of house they live in it's basically me like <laughs> so that's the thing so it's like, if you're only for yourself it's actually a bit easier because yeah. it's um it you know yourself really well but what you then have to suggest ask yourself is in terms of the comp- competition around me is everyone else trying to aim for who i am Ah. because then you're going then you're competing with like everyone else instead of trying to find that little grey patch in the marketplace which can be made more interesting or have something different put into it and this is why some like a lot of, I've come across a lot of people who go oh my dream client is myself when they're mm. starting a business because it's just it feels easier because like why well, I know me better than anyone I know who I have to target make content that interests me but you think you know each other but yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the industry needs yeah. and what's actually the marketplace needs so it's really important you do firm competitive research and in-depth competitive research and actually try and pinpoint who your audience are because then you can start to segue yourself into an area of the industry which maybe you haven't considered at the start but could actually give you upward growth it also has to come down it also gets difficult because you have to then be like well this thing that might be available might not be something you're interested in Mm. like it might be something you have a slight interest but could you see yourself doing that for years on end um so that's why it's tricky because you've got to try and find something you're passionate about and what you're interested in. Look at the market landscape and go, so they're doing this, they're doing this. These are like maybe my, you know, my five top competitors at the moment for who's who's in the same sort of bandwidth as me. And what's their format? What are they doing? What audiences are they trying to hit on and their target? And then you can work out what people aren't doing. And that's the actual big thing that a lot of people should be doing. It's not about what you what your competition are doing is what they're not doing. Because mm. if you pinpoint what they're not doing, you can really start to see where you can fit in and actually okay. take up a large section of the marketplace. Um, so I think we are talking about uh, a few podcasts earlier and they have similar sort of formats where it's kind of Q&A style talking. Um, 
And I think you've, you touched on it earlier as well about how no one's really doing an in-person podcast. It's like no one's really going and chatting to people and maybe having more conversational podcasts where it's not just a string of Q&As, it's actually a bit more um, just conversation. That If that was something that was actually being done, then why isn't it being done? And that's actually somewhere you could, it's more interesting. I find, not to say it's not unedited because I think if you didn't edit this, it'd just be ridiculous. It's like so much like, the the there's, there's so much like just um, mad stuff being spoken about and I think the Coke thing as well like no the, the Nike thing I have no expertise in Nike so that was just like for all I know that could be complete nonsense but at the same time it's um there might be something in that and there might be something where you have to put in a little bit more effort but by having this kind of more easygoing conversational attitude to podcasting yeah. where it's not just oh I've done some intense research about you and yeah, I'm going yeah, to yeah. literally just like pick your brain on all these key sure. areas which has its benefits, but there's a million podcasts like that. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's what I'd suggest is go maybe go back to the start and consider who your audience is, like just your ideal audience. Because you know, age of thing, like by trying to appeal to everyone, you appeal to nobody. Pick your key person and aim it at them. Um, Stephen King writes all his books for his wife. For his wife. For his wife. He doesn't yeah. like. That's his audience. That's that's the only person he writes for. Like- he writes, for, yeah. He, he writes for his wife's approval. Like, if his wife likes it, that's all he needs to do. Because if his wife likes it, then thousands of other people will like it. Same sort of demographic, you mean? Yeah. Demographic, but it's also it's that idea of like finding your niche, and it's that kind of like, well, why do you need to appeal to everyone? Just pick one type of person, aim all the content at them, and I guarantee you'll find tens of thousands of people that also relate to that kind of content. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say, isn't it? They say that, like, like you just said, do a persona of, of one person. Um, so. Uh, you know, like walk through the day, like you say, like yeah. Mark twenty one uh, lives in somewhere. And the more in depth you go, the more easy it is. So it's like, what type of coffee do they drink? What type of tea do they have? What so type of you... furnishings do they have? Because in the day, if someone's drinking Tesco own brand yeah. coffee instead of like Nestle finest, that says who sort of person they are. Like it says the type Don't of money they're willing. So it says <laughs> the type of money they're willing to spend. And yeah. if you can work out then like. The type of lifestyle they live, you can sort of work out what type of person, like um, individual, they might um, respond well to. Mm. So, like I say, if you have a sort of person who has Tesco own brand, everything, everything's like red label own brand stuff, and they live in quite a, like a chilled. They don't really buy much. It's spend. They don't have a lot of maybe money. Why would they want to hear podcasts from like an elite? ballet studio right. so uh, like you know like just to play like a, okay. an elite sort of like opera so by or whatever. having this so, so say my audience is, is people roughly around the student age yeah um, wondering what to do next actually you know, after before before university so uh, I'm looking at people who, who you know maybe not have a lot of money uh, a bit conscious about yeah. that um, and, and I don't know what, so, how so do you're I kind of looking at to, people maybe sort of working to lower middle class backgrounds yeah. at a cut off point between maybe like 16 to 20, 19 like or 18 to 21 yeah that'd be ideal that kind yeah. of age and it's well, like it goes in, it, so currently on YouTube it's like 18 to 34 that's, like, that's just like a, that's just a demographic they're yeah. going like to throw out because it's just like it's banded isn't it but yeah. but that's the thing but then in which case let's say you took a more niche audience where you're looking at like yeah 19 to 25 for instance maybe these people want to go to university maybe they don't maybe they've got money problems with the idea of going to university or they're just a bit unsure about that kind of thing then it's actually not right because then you know your audience and you can there's that you can then start to pinpoint where does that demographic situate itself what platforms are they most likely to use like that like you know what i mean it's like generation z are you routinely using snapchat over facebook like they're routinely using instagram and snapchat 
if you're going for more like lower millennial age or upper generation Z, then you can be looking at what platforms am I going to be able to get the most amount of reach towards this sort of audience, this sort of demographic. And once you can target that, then you can actually start doing more focused content and do A-B testing where you're sort of putting out content, seeing how it resonates, talking to the demographic directly and picking their brain, which is actually one of the best things that a lot of influencers do, especially in the creative industries. They routinely use stories and stuff like that to actively engage with their... Um, their, their Instagram stories or Instagram stories yeah. anything they, but they routinely engage with the audience to help them generate content because then you're doing reactive content not yeah, just trying yeah. to guess and for you especially doing a podcast and some of your other endeavours you need content that people are going to engage with but first you need to find your audience and where that audience base themselves because there is no point using Facebook if none of your audience are on Facebook if they're all on Snapchat and Instagram why even bother with Facebook it's like it's just another I mean I'm not saying you do but it's just like why even put the attention into that platform when it's not going to benefit you or you might you know you might get like a few likes every now and again in a post but it's more about like trying you need to position your content in a way which is going to maximize which is getting going to get in front of the right demographic in the right ways I like it I like it so so, so you when, once I've got that audience yeah. sorted and nailed down in my mind I'm then making so finding out what sort of posts that Instagram posts they like and make similar ones? Or? I think it's, it's this is where it comes down to the kind of trial and everything, which right. is like when you first start posting, I mean, I know you, you use Instagram quite regularly, but it's when you start posting out, it's why insights on Instagram are some of the best tools you can use because they literally tell you what yeah. people engage with. I mean, yeah. no one, it's, it's mad to me that you have so many creatives out there who are complaining about not getting work, <laughs> but then aren't actually using their insight tools to actually see what content is being engaged with the most. And, there was like, so, and what's actually, so there was, I was reading an article the other day saying that actually Instagram saves are like one of the biggest things you could aim for now. So it's not just about likes and comments, the actual way amount of people are saving your content work, yeah. is actually one of the best, um, one of the best things you can actually aim for. And that's why insights are great because it will tell you who's like, what demographic, like, is it more male, is it more female, yeah. etc. Oh, actually, you know what, it's that for the last like 10 posts I've done, I've had a 60 or oh, 65, 35 split towards female, but that's not the demographic I actually want to aim for because of whatever reasons, like maybe the, you've got a product line coming out which is going to be catered towards men. Mm. So in which case you can see that and go, I need to start introducing some more masculine content. The same way when I did Designers League Instagram, we, when I took it over, there was a 30, 70 split towards men. And that was ridiculous. Like the fact, like we had this massive channel, and uh, we had well, not massive. It was like I think ten thousand at the time. We had this channel, um, and we weren't catering to both voices. Mm. So I spent a lot of time finding content from um, female studios and female and women and female yeah. designers. And I started. I didn't just like blockade it. I was still posted like, but I predominantly put emphasis on that um, that content. And when I left TDL, it was a fifty-one to forty-nine split. And that's and this is the thing that I find funny about, especially the TDS come because it was essentially an inspiration channel. The amount of effort it took to actually do it because it involved like regularly looking at insights, regularly looking at content, trying to find that content and everything. Yeah. I spent routinely about six, uh, not six, maybe like four to five hours a week, like doing that one channel. And but um, that's the thing. So when you're looking at your own product, start posting content from the material you're generating from your podcast from any other side and then see how it resonates see it res resonates I, saying resi I always say resonates but it resonates <laughs> resonates with an audience like and don't chase I mean I don't I don't like the idea of chasing likes I think you chase value if you provide value eventually the bigger your audience gets the more people will find value in your content 
yeah. if you post something at the start and it gets like 20 likes or whatever or 10 likes and it's like oh my god what's going on this, is, this isn't fair I put so much effort into this that's just what it is keep posting see, you can always archive stuff later if you're not happy with it but keep posting and then see what you generate post regularly consistently like I said let your strategy define what content you're posting and content strategy is very different to actually like brand strategy but brand strategy will should filter and control what your tone of voice is what your positioning is what you're trying to actually say to an audience, what your end goal is. Like if your end goal is to, I mean, I don't know how many followers you've currently got on Instagram, but let's say your end goal is to get 20,000 followers. Yeah. You know that's your end goal. That's your, yeah, so. I've got 50, by the way. I've got 50,000. you got what? 50,000. Have you? <laughs> so, so that's, that was an upward plan. But no, but no, like, let's say, let's say, let's say, let's say, let's say 50,000 then. That's what you've got yeah. to do. No, no, then you can start to go like, so I, what, my end goal for my Instagram is 50,000. My brand strategy is telling me, I am this, I do this for this sort of person. That is your like, basically your mission statement, your target, your, what your whole point is. Yeah. You then can do market research based off of that. Well, that's actually comes after market research. So you do your market research and then you generate your mission statement, which is, so it defines who you are. And you can work out and it will define what your position is in that marketplace, what you're trying to do. From that, you can also generate like a tagline. So I think, um, What's my free my freelance tagline is um, just uh, something like why blend when why blending when you can stand out and it's like something like that because yeah. it's like me being who I am I'm very kind of colourful and mad and yeah. that's it sort of makes sense cool. but that's what you from that you can then go and start generating content which falls back to your strategy of I my sole aim is to do this I'm trying mm -hmm. to do like you know so creative waffle. Um, what's it? So, yeah, so that's just thing. Let's try and make one up for you on the spot. Um, Creative Waffle provides um, the best quality content for 18 to 25 year olds entering the industry, or like you know, the most the most insight or whatever. You know, that's yeah. like really that's probably like quite a bit wanky, but like, like that, that's that's, it's not, that's definitely not poignant enough. But you know what I mean. Right. Then you've got that. So all you need to know is like you're gonna throw, you're gonna do your podcast. Your podcast is going to hit on and is going to basically, you know, create educational content. Yeah. Or like try and develop educational insights for 18, 25 year olds who are trying to enter the industry. Um, and then you've got your mission and then it's like, okay, so every time you do a podcast, what can I pull out of this which pulls back into that? So that my whole thing is educational insight um, for people trying to enter the industry then what is the point in talking to a 40 year old director about like what he's doing at that point in his life? Like right, yeah, really yeah, you should yeah. be asking or trying to steer the conversation towards like, oh, so when you first started out, and this is why actually this format's quite good because instead of asking them questions, setting them up, you're trying to get in back into that of storytelling and making them reminisce and go, oh, so when you were like 20, what was happening in your life? Like not just in creative terms, but in terms of your life, because that has a massive effect on who you are as a person and your professional life. So it's like, what were you doing? Oh, well, I've just been made redundant. I was on the dole. Yeah. I was um, doing this. And then I sort of started doing these things that helped me get into these areas. And then from that 40 minute podcast, you can take that little snippet and turn it into a piece of actually value-based content, which can go, so, you know, four tips from this person when you're doing it, do this, do this, do this. A bit more fleshed out. That's probably a bit too buzzfeedy, but you know, 
No, no, that's what works, doesn't it? But that's why it's so important that you generate your positioning really early on and you know exactly what you're aiming for. It's not just about blank fire, like, you know, it's the difference between a sniper rifle and a scatter, like basically a machine gun. You can stand in the background and shoot with a machine gun and hope eventually something will hit. Yeah. Or you can actually build a decent sniper rifle and just bullseye a target every time. And it's that kind of thing you need to be doing, especially I think with your own podcast, is you've been doing it for so long and you're obviously very good at getting um really established names on there but it feels that maybe there isn't as a concise direction as there could be it feels like you're asking them questions about who they are and what they're doing but maybe you'd benefit a lot more from trying to work out an audience and a direction a kind of a focus direction that then you can try and steer content from your podcast towards they can talk about other things is what they like for breakfast or what their families are doing or where they live etc or what they're doing current projects they got on but providing there's always some content which can be turned into um there's some content in that podcast that can be turned into more content that goes into different touch points and different pillars so like instagram or maybe it's on snapchat or maybe it's you can then take an idea they express and turn it into a youtube video about oh so there's this idea about oh they were made redundant had to go sign on yeah so why can't i do a, a youtube video about how to get back into industry if you've got made redundant that yeah, happened yeah. that's happened to me twice and i've quit my one job so yeah. my career's off to a good start it's like i was made redundant for my first job i was made redundant for my second job and i quit my last job to go freelance because i burnt out and there was no help like the, the job center people the job center employees are useless they don't know how to work in creative industries there's not a lot of help out there for people who have been made redundant and don't know what to do it's a very common thing that happens i was less than a year into my career as a junior before it happened basically still at the start and that would appeal that would be interesting to people who are trying to get back into the industry who are maybe 23 um and then as for the 18 year olds you can just generate content which is about how to enter the industry for like not even like so if you don't go to uni what do you do like you've you didn't go to uni did you no, no. so it's like you can speak from first-hand experience so you've got to very build interesting. A, you've got to build a platform you've got to do these sort of things and the one thing I've noticed a lot from students, and I, I, so I wrote, I'm, I'm going to plug this article loads, but no, like, yeah, yeah. The, one, no, but the one thing I've noticed from students is I went to DAD and spoke to them all. Yeah. A lot of focus is put on the idea and the how it can be done, like I sort of like you know workshops in how to use Illustrator in design, etc. There's not a lot of work, if any work, done with students on how to set themselves up as a brand. Because every student graduate in their own right and every person entering the industry didn't go to university or just did maybe like um, a B-Tech at college mm. is a brand in their own right. They have the potential to be a brand in their own right. And the same attention should be spent on your own personal brand as it is if you work for a client. It's like, where do you sit in the marketplace? What is your voice? What are you trying to do? What is your audience and your et cetera, et cetera? Once you've worked, what is your mission statement? What is your tagline? How are you going to create an emotive response with a consumer? And then once you've worked this out, you can then start to build the visuals around that and start to name you, create, you know, like even naming. So naming is really important. Like it's, um, I always had this idea that names are just like, oh, whatever, you can just change. Logos can change. Yeah. Names tend to stay with you forever. And if you get the name wrong, it's much harder to reposition yourself. I find that brilliant well, design. Yeah. yeah. Once you, and this is the thing that so I've, I've, I obviously started sort of made the move towards strategy. My all my handles are Ben Designs. Mm -hmm. I liked it because it was literally it said exactly what I do. Ben Designs you can't really go wrong. Like it's, yeah, it says yeah, it on yeah. a tin. Um, but at the same time, if I want to start introducing more strategy, it I this sort of it, it was not a big deal because it's like end of the day strategy builds design, so it still works. But I had this sort of like almost um, crisis where I was like, oh Christ, I'm going to change all my names. 
or do I want to sit under a studio name which makes me feel a bit more prolific um, but then I sort of got over it and I went no let's just stay true to the lane kind of thing um, but that's what happens with students is they're not given the tools that really are needed to set themselves up in the industry if you teach students and like people new to industry how to develop cohesive strategy their work will improve their portfolios will improve their marketing skills or not in marketing because that's a different area but like the way they hold themselves the way they develop themselves yeah. as a brand will be more efficient more concise uh, have more cohesion and then they'll find it much easier to actually get the attention of studios get the attention of potential customers etc so let me ask you then uh, if you're going let's create some content uh, let's, as, as you, if you're coming out of university or, yeah. or maybe you're just trying to get into the industry or trying to get some your first clients or something um, you're trying to get attention, like you say, from, yeah. from maybe a potential employer. Actually, let's just go. Let's just go, clients. If you want to get your first client, you want to position yourself as a brand. Cry. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good yeah. stuff. Um, Screaming your pillow. But so, yeah. you, so you come. You're you're your own person. You're yeah. your own brand. Your own personal thing. Yeah. You, you're working for yourself. Yeah. How do you act uh, professionally, and how do you position yourself as someone that's reputable to work with when you haven't got any? Exam. So how basically how do you um, create trust when you haven't yeah. got anything to be trusted? Yeah, so, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, so this is actually this is the thing. It's actually like, I'm actually working with um, a couple of girls at the moment who are trying are starting to set themselves up as an interior design company. Same issue. They both come from different industries. Haven't got an actual portfolio yet yeah. of actually client work, and we're exploring ways in which they can build that kind of loyalty and that reputation without actually needing work. So what I'd say is, let's say you've gone through the process, you've done the strategy, you've developed your kind of personal branding and your touch points. You've set your like self up in that sense. You, let's say you've got a logo and a so name. So you got, so you got all the, because it's going to be a different clip. So you yeah. got all, you got all of the, the personal statement, the mission statement. Yeah. So you've you've, the, you've gone, let's, you've gone through the strategic process where you've worked out your market research, your competitor research, your um, key persona for your audience. You've used that then to um, generate your positioning, your logos, and like sort of start to formulate out of that. Your, let's say you're not your logo, your brand name, yeah. your key line, your mission statement, etc. And then from that, you've started to maybe got a, you've maybe generated a logo. Yeah, you've got um, a website name. You've got a website, etc. Okay. If you want to actually then go and get your first clients, you've got to actually be a lot more clever and see what other what skills and what not insight do you have that could be of interest. So you don't need a portfolio to get work what you need is to set yourself up as a thought leader in that area that can be done through a blog that can be done through um creating educational snippets for your i mean it's a big trend at the moment to create educational content for instagram mm. we're done through doing that it can be done through um in-person networking and the confidence in which you speak about what you're saying um so one, knowing, the, knowing the industry that you're knowing the industry, into. no one like okay nice looking work is great what clients are normally looking for is to have confidence that you know what you're doing mm. there are more ways to do that than visually and I think this is what I said about universities missing a trick they focus so heavily on the shiny polished house that they forget about the foundations which upon that house is built it's important that you have you utilise other touch points and, and ways of actually communicating to set yourself up as that leader. And it doesn't come from having a nice poster design all the time on Instagram. It comes from actually being able to talk correct, like, you know, talk with gumption about that yeah. pillar. Um, and this is why actually why going on to another point where I actually really encourage people to write and actually keep like write on 
LinkedIn keep blogs, actually use the written word because it develops a voice. When I moved over to my latest position, it wasn't a design role, it was a strategy and copywriting role. Never done it in my life, never done copywriting like properly in my life, long or short form. Um, I told the CEO that and he didn't seem to mind, which is funny. But since I've been there, I've written about 40 articles. And from that, the way I can articulate myself, maybe not in person because I, I've I'm ADHD, I'm quite scatty sometimes, but the way I can communicate that across written content and my thought process is has helped massively on getting me on the radar of like people. So I've had since I've um, been writing on LinkedIn, I've had multiple studios from America weirdly contact me asking me for like to, just to ask me and you know elaborate on certain points I've made or whatever. Still, and then I've connected with those people on LinkedIn, and then I've actually had been having conversations with those people who are who are like directors or they are just businesses etc. So it's important if you don't have a portfolio to not freak out and go, oh my God, no one's going to take me seriously. Position, like develop your website to maybe not be something that is a portfolio site. Maybe it is just a blog to start with. And in that blog is really insightful, provocative and thought-emoting kind of content, which actually talks about, say, let's say you want to be a branding designer, or let's say maybe niche, let's say you go just logo types. Create a blog which is actually looking at current logo types, what isn't being done, what your opinion is on why things aren't being done, like what is, what, what's your opinion on um, minimal, like, you know, flat logo type design. And like, not just from the standpoint, it's like, I don't think it's very good. Like analyze, detail, yeah. analyze yeah. it, question it. Is that the right thing? Could we go back to a pseudomorphic point of, of like logo types where yeah. it's actually a lot more gradients and textures, word art, etc. But yeah. you know what I mean? But it's, it, there's really easy ways you can do it. But, and this is why I think if you can develop the joy for writing, it's so much easier because you can write an article, you can then condense the article into content for your Instagram or Twitter or whatever. You can then use that article and actually like create a YouTube video out of it. Yeah. From yeah. that, you've got maybe like four pieces, four like four platforms of content, which are, and you haven't shown one piece of work, mm. but people might come across it and go, yeah, oh, these about. people know what you're talking about. This is not talking about. What's their site looking like? Oh, there's there's no work on here, but they have loads of content that seem they seem to know what they're on about. So maybe I'll like maybe I'll get in touch and do that. And also, it's like in person networking is really important. I mean, I know there's like I'm quite an extroverted character, so it's easier for me. Um, but due to having ADHD, it does play a downside as well because I talk a lot. And I've had to try and train myself to listen more. And just because you're an extroverted person doesn't instinctively mean you're going to be more successful because sometimes it's the quieter person who's listening harder who actually knows what the person needs. Mm. So instead of like someone like me who might talk a lot and be very kind of altruistic and etc., uh, when it comes to actually emailing that person, I may have missed key details about who they are, what they're doing, which somebody who's quieter might have noticed. So there's a strength in being quiet and there's a strength in actually going to networking events and not feeling like you have to just talk to everyone. You can just mingle with crowds of people who are talking and pick up on things. And at the end, just go up to them and go, oh, can I get your business card? It's really interesting what you're doing and do that. So it's, it, it happens a lot as well. Because also I, I just, just, my output is anyone who graduates from university often doesn't really have a portfolio. They have a collection of ideas. Yeah. But it's not a sellable consumer-based like a commercial based portfolio a lot of the time. I mean, don't be wrong, I mean, there's Nottingham Trent and they do have quite good briefs in terms of um, advertisement and I think in branding and stuff. Mm. But a lot of courses are super conceptual based and it's like, oh, what area do you want to explore? I want to explore feminism. How are you going to explore that? Oh, I think I might make a publication yeah, highlighting 
the stuff that's going on in today's world about maybe like Pussy Riot or someone like that. And then you're like, okay, go away and start doing that. Oh, so I've developed this really nice little like zine publication with like it's risographed and it's got really cool like grid systems and it's like the reason I do it this way is because um, the reason why I've like got torn pages is because Pussy Riot's all about kind of anarchism and like you know like a pushback effect and that kind of do-it-yourself mentality. Oh, awesome. Like you've created a zine which is aesthetically cool, but like who is that Vine? Who's that who are you giving that to? Like who's gonna engage with that? Yeah, what's the ba- foundation What's the foundation it, yeah. behind it? And that's what I think a lot of education lacks at the moment. They create don't get me wrong, DNA D is like there's some astoundingly nice work in there and you do and within those projects you get some really nice actually um, positioned work which does solve issues and does talk very like well about like just do they do create good campaigns. But the majority is just I feel is very much based around how can you take the themes of this topic and put it into a designed asset rather than going how can I actually find a solution to an issue by targeting a certain audience that no one and in a way that no one else is doing yeah um so yeah it, 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 it is tricky and I think again when you don't have a portfolio it comes a lot without a trial and error but the girls I'm working with for this interior design company um we're literally moving through the strategy process at the moment and um, we're not we're almost at the point where we're going to we will start actually developing the visuals but they're in the same boat and we've already worked through um we've already started to explore potential content routes and how they could what not so much in like what their content's going to look like but what con what content pillars they could use if they don't have a portfolio like and mm. to me that when you develop that you can then actually start to develop a content strategy what we just spoke about, which is set, which the brand strategy influences, but the content strategy is much more about key pillars. So what are your core content pillars going to be? Is it education? Is it inspiration? Is it et cetera? How are those pillars going to be visualized? What yeah. are they going to fall under? Um, and the majority, you look at a lot of design profiles now, especially from influencers, a lot of them don't even have design work on. They're all just like those, um, you know, top five ways to get, to do logo, to design logos and like loads of different plaques with like graphs and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be said in like thought leadership and actually that idea of giving away education and giving away information to build trust so the, yeah I totally agree with that and I think that's the podcast sort of falls underneath the education bracket uh, but if, if, you, if you're trying to attract a design client apart, yeah. from, apart from going out there and, and just contacting people and being relentless with that and yeah. emailing people and cold calling and yeah, yeah. Go, down, go down your local bakery and ask yeah people, yeah yeah but that's a serious way of getting clients. Like that's no, it is. It is. But, uh, but it's also for that as well. There's there's calculation that has to come into that because designing a logo, and this is why I think designing a logo for a local electrician might not be something that will help elevate your portfolio. And I think this is the thing. I mean, don't be wrong. They could recommend you, and there is this idea of like if you do a job for like a local store, there's a good chance they will recommend you to. Well, not a good chance, but there is a chance they may recommend you to other people they know. But when you, like I said, it all comes back to like your positioning and working out what you're trying to do as a brand, as a studio or a brand or a person. And if that client doesn't fit in with what you're trying to do, mm. don't even expel the energy trying to do it because there's there are other ways you can get work. So interestingly enough, most of my portfolio is, or well, it was, is was passion-based projects. Stuff I just did in my spare time. It's like stuff I spent a lot of time on. Stuff you want back. But stuff you want back. Yeah. And there's a lot, I actually think if you, Use this. Use what we've just spoken about in terms of like strategy and actually design. But you do it for an actual passion project. You actually do it for a project like so. Like 
the you've maybe generated the brief from or you actually there's an existing company you want to try and redo yeah and then if you talk about how you developed the strategy talk about how that influenced the design you talk about where etc etc that is going to look good to a um, client a potential client especially if alongside that you've got all your written content you've got your instagram channels and stuff like that so i'm a really big advocate for, i think if a creative doesn't have a passion project going on or at least one passion project going on at any one time it says a lot about them as a creative because most of the work I've actually been given has been down to passion projects. It's very rare people see a piece of commercial work from me. It's, yeah, my passion projects are commercially minded and they're, they're not what I used to do at university. They're all built under the commercial arm of what is the problem? How can I solve that problem? Where is it going to position itself in the marketplace? How is it different from its competitors? But it's still essentially something that I'm interested in as a, either like a branding project or something that's a bit more experimental. Yeah. Um, and like the like Designers League was a good example. I've had so many um, requests to like submit for like pitches or just like give treatments or something like that based off this one thing that was just done on as a side project. Yeah, I definitely agree with having a side project and that does push boundaries and shows off what you want to be doing and what work you want to be doing. Um, but also going going to the yeah. positioning yourself a lot of young designers come out and say yeah I want to work with everyone and that's great but like we talked about it's, it's easier to get more clients if you're, if you're going and focused on one area of the market so yeah. for my example from my own um, what's the word from what experience. I've said in the past experience yeah <laughs> <laughs> own experience uh, I, I've done that I've tried to be the brand designer work with anyone yeah. and what I found is that normally it's the cheaper people that, or, or people like the local bakery or like the, the electrician that want the, just, they're the people that want, want to pay 50 quid for a logo. Yeah. Or they're the people that um, are only really worried about the look of it. They don't really understand the brand and strategy. So yeah. maybe you want to position yourself as, as a designer out of university or as a new designer, creative person, young one. Um, maybe you want to be, as much as it's good to say that I'll do any job and get as much mm. money as possible. Maybe you want to position yourself as working with medium-sized clients and actually understanding the brand strategy, understanding the rest of it behind the just the prettiness of it. Yeah. So when I started doing that, I did get a bit few more bigger clients. Yeah. You know, million-pound business. Not I didn't have a million pounds, <laughs> but million pounds people people that make million pounds to start working with. Yeah, yeah. And that was great um, because they saw that I was doing the YouTube stuff and they saw that yeah. I was doing the videos and understanding what actually the branding behind it. So like you say, that works really well with creating content writing blogs and making sure people know that you understand the other stuff and not just how to make a logo pretty yeah but it's like it comes back to that thing about by appealing to everyone you appeal to no one and i was so guilty of this until like maybe a year or two years ago maybe actually the time when i sort of changed what i was trying to basically do i liked i always considered i was always proud of the fact that i was a multidisciplinary i was always yeah. proud of the fact that i can do animation i can do video editing i can do branding and digital and illustration i'm all, i'm pretty good at all of those things um, but you sort of realise that by trying to appeal to that audience, you're actually not you're you're setting yourself up against everyone out there. So the reason why people big up the idea of niche is because if you limit yourself to being, you know, for me it's branding and social media. Um, by limiting that, like, all you're competing against then is other people who do branding and social media, and when you're only competing with that many people, and there are a lot out there, but like nowhere near as much as if I was to go, oh, I'm going to do illustration, animation, digital, yeah. branding, 
then I'm taking on the whole industry. By saying you're only focusing on that, there's a lot less people to have to work your way past before you get to those higher paying clients. And also the reason students start, like, the reason a lot of people start off with these lower paying, like, you know, whatever, it's just confidence. They don't think they they have the experience to go for the higher clientele. They don't think they have the actual, um, they're going to be taken seriously. So they go for the electrician who wants to charge 30 pound, wants to give you 30 quid for a logo because they don't have the confidence in themselves due to the lack of education around the things that would actually make them confident to be able to go to the higher clients who are, you know, earning 800,000 revenue a year or like 1.5 million and present themselves and go, I do this. I think I could be of an asset to you. Mm. Could we have a coffee or have a conversation or like, so I did that with um, a company called Born Social. Um, they were, they, they were marketing for the advertising jobs on Facebook for freelancers. I happened to be in the same WeWork as them at the time, and I just went upstairs, knocked on the door, and went, cool. "Is any of your like design, any of your like senior team in for designers?" And we're on their paddies, creative directors, and in, but give us your details. Um, although they gave me his details, sorry, I then emailed him, and we've had like a couple of coffees, and then um, just chatting. There was no like real talk; it was just about who we were. And then um, he got in touch like two weeks later, saying, "Oh, I'd really think you could help us up level our content. Um, we'd love to get you in again to talk to you in a bit more depth." And this time it was—I haven't actually gone in yet, but it was much more. This time it's going to be much more about professional standpoint. And that's only because I had the confidence to actually go and do it. Now, if I was back when I was a junior, yeah. there's no way I'd have actually had the felt I had the confidence with my portfolio to be able to go into like a multi-million-pound agency and go, "Oh yeah, I think I could help you." But here's the point, so to get the confidence as a junior designer or as a young designer coming out of, or just starting mm. in the industry, write those blogs and understand the industry, that's where you get the confidence from, if you understand the Well, industry. I think confidence comes from, yeah, confidence comes from, like knowledge is power, confidence comes from understanding and you understand from learning and you learn, and writing is just an outreach to be able to give you an excuse to learn, give you an excuse to read, give you an excuse to actually, like reading's a big thing, I only just started reading again, mm. and reading's a really important thing for people to do. So writing is a means to an end, but what writing does do is make you think, right, I need to generate some content, but first I'm gonna write an article about, so to help me do that. I'm gonna write the article around this area. Maybe I don't know as much as I could do about that area. Let me go away and actually research and actually look, try and educate myself. Yeah. That builds your self-confidence in what you're talking about. Then you can write the article and then turn it into content. I think the problem a lot of graduates or people who have just entered the industry, there's not a lot of learning tools um, available on for young people, especially graduates, and they're not taught it at uni. Like I said about using strategy to understand what they're trying to do. They know what they're trying to do, whether it's to make a publication or make a poster series. On a deeper level, not they're not they're not understanding it on a deeper level. Yeah. And because of that, when they graduate, they have a very kind of like very don't be wrong I've interviewed I've been in the interview process graduates tend to have much more interesting portfolios than people who went straight into university or sorry straight into the industry simply because they've had three years of time to be able to like you know explore really bizarre avenues and ideas and do that kind of thing um, but in terms of actually like how it fits into the industry it's always very shallow because they've gone I was really passionate about food wastage I felt like a good way of tackling that was to set up a series of, like to rebrand what food banks are. Um, so I decided to go and do this, this and this. And there might be a bit more in-depth research in that about what current food banks look like, but I guarantee there's, there was probably not a lot of research done into who's using the food banks yeah. and like that kind Pesters of stuff. Or, or things like, so, so the way, so basically the way to get 
medium-sized clients, so we'll get past that first level yeah. of client here, you know, 50 pound people, is to understand and have the knowledge to be able to attract those people. So understand, you know, the, the how to do the brand strategy behind it, understand. So basically... Well, it's how to basically, like, so you do the... Re- you, it in a way. Well, no, it's, it's, it's basically, you do the research and educate yourself yeah. so you can articulate yourself better and have more confidence. Yeah. That confidence then gives you, allows you to then feel like you can approach people of that caliber. Yeah. Because you've done the research, because you've educated yourself, because you've actually like tried it out or tried it, whatever, you can then talk to those people about it in a coherent way, which they understand and they that builds their confidence. If you're confident and the client is potential client is confident, there's a much greater chance of you doing work together. Yeah. You can be a confident person, but if you don't know what you're talking about and you're going to speak to someone, if they don't, if you don't build their confidence, why would they ever work with you? And if, and that's the thing. And if you don't educate yourself, you're going to be stuck working with like small clients, and you don't try to expand your mind and have be able to educate yourself to a point where you can really talk about an issue in a in a eloquent way. Then you're always going to stay working for people who don't put any value on design, because the people who do value design, who do allocate hundred thousand, two hundred thousand pound a year marketing budgets are the ones that actually do understand the value of it, but they want to know that you understand the value of it and you understand how to implement it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you can't talk them through that process, then why would they use you? Like, it's just not, for someone who's got, is, has their job, has to do a job, they've got to think about their own well-being as well. Yeah, so knowledge is confidence, confidence is power. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, it's like... Get the clients. But that's the thing, it's Good like... content, that. But no, no, it is, it's, it's just like, and this is the problem, I think students leave, you know, because I can only, I didn't go straight into, so I can only speak from a, a graduate point of view. Students leave university... Um, having knowledge but maybe not having as much confidence as they could have because they don't have as much knowledge as they could have and therefore they don't have much power Yeah. because without the knowledge you don't have the confidence you need to be able to position yourself as a thought leader in a powerhouse um, I, think, I think this is why the, you see agencies getting these bigger clients because they look like they know what they're doing Like that's why I wouldn't get a client like sort of in the design football design world it's a bit different but say I wouldn't get as a personal as a one younger designer like Nike they're going to be much more Nike they're going to be much more um, confident in going with um, a big like Pentagram for example yeah. than they well, are so, um, because it, they can understand these widen Kennedy a lot don't they right. to do um, a lot of their is it, I think do a lot of their um, video and ad campaigns and stuff right but no but also it's like I mean there also comes a level of prestige with it and if you have multi-million pound marketing budgets you're going to go over a company which is charging a certain amount because they just do i think there, there is a level of egotism within the industry and it's like i guarantee within the world there is a freelancer who could generate work that's just as good as a top 50 agency because statistically that's likely to happen mm. nike are probably routinely going to go and use the top 50 agency because one, there's a level of like, oh, we can afford to do that. Two, that agency is probably maybe try and test it a bit more. And also they have safeguards in place. Like they have legal teams, they have actually like client facing. They know if they have to get an urgent email answered, there's someone dedicated just for that job role. Yeah. Um, but it's so, and that, it, it, it is tricky. And I do, I do feel for graduates and young people entering the industry now, because even when I left, when it was like five, six, six, five, six years ago, it's so much more saturated than it was, but it's really important that you, where you're at uni, you actually, a mistake I did, I made and didn't do is you work out what 
you're what you want to do, like what you're trying to be. Because I left when most the the, the gut like sort of um, almost gag reflex when you leave university is I need to get a job. Mm. I'm gonna apply to everywhere. I don't care what it is. I just need any sort of job, doing internship or doing like you know yeah, junior position. Because you sort of you're just like I need. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got no. I don't know where I sit in the world anymore. It's the first time in my life I'm not being told what I'm doing. Christ, where, like, where do I go? Yeah. But maybe if there was actually more modules in place or more workshops in place at university that helped people understand their position in the industry, what they actually enjoy, what they're trying to do. For that point in time, like, things change. Like, people's, like, strategies change. The way they position themselves changes. But when you first start out, if you actually understand, I really enjoy cycling. I really want to go work for a cycling agency, whether that be Rafa, whether it be Cannondale, whether that be an agency which are, like, design work or something like that, which do sports... That's what I want to do. That's what I really enjoy. Why would you then leave uni and go apply for a digital agency that works with like Quavers yeah, or like you know like, yeah, a, yeah. A, like, like Kellogg's or something like that? That's very random. I mean, no, I, I, don't have Quavers, <laughs> I don't have Quavers, um, but it's like, like Kellogg's or something like that. Like why? Like by understanding who you are and what you're interested in, where you what you want to work in, you can develop your whole portfolio and brand around that. Because at the end of the day, the whole reason people go to uni other than to drink and do loads of drugs is to actually go and get a job at the end of it yeah and you've got the best chance of getting a job like we said earlier about if you um choose a path like you don't just try and appeal to everyone if you choose what you want to do you have a much greater chance of actually getting in that mm. area so two guys from my course um will and jordan jordan was like mad about cycling mad about sport um, he got a job straight out of university. All his third year work was basically around sport and like cycling and stuff like that. And he's, he got a job straight out of university working for um, Limelight Sports. And now works at Nike in um, Amsterdam as a digital designer. Amazing. Um, Will was, uh, he's now a freelance as well, but he spent all his third year doing like 2D flat video. We were on the same motion module together. Um, but he spent all his time doing like 2D animation, like, you know, character and stuff like that. Yeah. He left uni and got offered jobs from like free studios because he knew what he wanted to do. He knew where he wanted, they both knew where they wanted to work. Someone like me, for instance, who didn't know what they wanted to, where they wanted to work. I did the exact same as everyone else, quick fired my CV everywhere and that, um, blah, blah, blah. I got my first internship from being good at talking because I went to a, one dot, a lecture at 1.0 and just chatted to their senior producer and I'm always been quite good at talking about myself. So I did that and got in that way. Um, but there's that's the thing with students they like more emphasis needs to be given to them about if you actually want your main aim is to get a job at the end of this maybe you should be picking topics around work which mm. actually are around that area and then maybe that work should actually investigate strategy a bit more to, to influence your design process so when you're going to these big agencies or companies you have a much more commercially minded portfolio because I'm saying I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having the most crazy publication, yeah. but it's important that you can talk to a client, uh, a potential employee, a employer, sorry, and go. So I did this crazy publication, but the reason I did this crazy publication is because I, research, I researched this target or I, I researched my competitive competition publications at the moment, who my audience were, why I think they like this would resonate with them for these reasons. And then even if your publication is super conception, super like, like just quirky design, the commercial attitude of it is the strategy. You've commercially attacked, you've attacked the strategy in a commercial minded sense of point, um, sense. And the, out, the output is just something that looks quite cool. Mm. Um, but it's much easier and it, it might just be for like a specific area. Um, uh, I think that a lot of people out there will know 
the feeling and the horrible feeling you get when someone asks you, maybe a teacher or a lecturer asks you, why did you do that? And you're like, uh, it looks nice. And that's the problem. If, <laughs> if you are sat in a uni room in third year, maybe the first year you can just sort of, you know, whatever. If you're in third year and you're getting asked by your lecturer why you're doing things a certain way and you're having to blag yeah, why you're doing it, you literally should just stop, <laughs> press the pause button, get off the highway, yeah. re-look at what you're doing, refocus, realign, reposition, and then get back on. Yeah. Because if you can't even explain to your lecturer why you're doing something, how are you going to stand up against a heavyweight creative director for an agency who does this for a living? So yeah, that, that's, really and that's it. I mean, basically, my whole point at the moment is I think uni should employ me to go do workshops. Yeah, but, um, they should. But, but no, but it's, <laughs> but it's funny. It's just, it, it, I'm just speaking from my own failures and like the reason I've got to the point I have in my life, because I said three months, what's month is it, September? Or four months ago, I, like, I quit my job because I burnt out and um, burnout to me was bizarre because I think when we lasted our podcast, our first podcast, I was in a routine of doing three hours work a night from nine to 12 and burnout to me was just this bullshit thing, which I don't know, it, it, to me it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but then I realized like what happened, burnout actually is, it wasn't the fact I hadn't got any energy, is that I was so sick and tired of design and the rigmarole and the constant, and it was constantly made to feel like I wasn't worth anything and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't have no love for it anymore. So um, I quit my job. And the last uh, to go freelance, which has been going great, but the, from the start of my career to this point, it's just been a string of failures. Uh, like I said, being made redundant twice, having to be persistent to come back from that, quitting my job, just consistently like trying things and maybe having them not quite succeed. Or some have been successful, but then some haven't. And now I'm at a stage where I can reevaluate where I've got and what actually was wrong with when I first left university. So it's not hard for me to be able to tell students what's not being taught, what they're not being taught, or what's where what they're doing wrong, because it's exactly what I did yeah. and what I didn't experience. Um, and it's much easier for me to like, and it's why you obviously like, it's people always like ask for advice from people older because they've, especially when it comes to careers, because it's like they've often screwed things up more than they have. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. There's there's a lot. I've, I'm I I want to go really into like more not so much the like lectures and stuff I just, I'd quite like to visit more units and to talk to students because um I only really get the chance at like big events like DNAD or my ISTD or whatever and um each time each year it's always the same thing but it'd be good to find out actually what their syllabuses are and what they're being taught because um, I know like from going on DNAD this year there was a massive precedent put on the art direction and it seems like the new thing in like unis is to really push art direction yeah. um but like I say, at the same time, it's like it's just swapping one visual for another type of visual output. If there yeah. isn't any sort of purpose to it, um, but yeah, no, it, it it it's good. I think there's like I'm like I said, I'm, I'm only what late twenties, so I'm still got my entire career ahead. But I've noticed radically since like starting to write more, since starting to read more. Um, I am starting to get more responses from uh, people in that cl potential clients in the industry, from students in the industry, nice. because I can um, just talk a lot more in depth about issues. And when I actually launch my new content um, content strategy, get my website finally in check, and I start pushing out more content, I'm pretty confident that um, it'll just go. Mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah. And then, like um, in terms of, I guess, in terms of side projects. I don't really. I got oh, I've got weekly design, which is obviously that um that was launched off the back of leaving TDL, which was um interesting, but that's like the whole the whole like uh, 
team, the team that just left. But we've st- like we obviously started because education is such a big thing for me, as you can probably tell. Um, weekly design was just actually it's quite interesting because that that had a lot of strategy put into it. So in terms of we like obviously design challenges, yeah. Um, there's loads like like logo, uh, what you a uh, daily UI, a uh, thirty day logo challenge, yeah, yeah. etc. Um, Dribble have just started their one uh, weekly design challenge on nice. Dribble. But we, the, when we left TDO, um, we were looking at, we, we had weekly, the idea for weekly design already and we were looking at that and we noticed that the gap in the market was the fact that all these challenges are very kind of surface value. They don't really promote the strategic thinking that the industry requires you to have. So you work in an agency, um, you don't just you can't just make things look nice. There has to be like a lot of reason behind it. There's a lot of research and thought process behind it, mm. which isn't actually what a lot of these challenges. I call it the dribble whirlpool because it's like you know the things like oh there's a reason all UI on dribble looks the same because it's just like oh let's go on dribble to have a look at some inspiration. Mm. It's all kind of very superficial and just like oh it looks pretty, and it moves pretty, and it's nice. Um, so we we sort of generated weekly design to develop deliver industry standard briefs. Um, to help you become a better designer essentially and our tagline is to become a better designer because it's nice. really straightforward and simple but the whole strategy around that was noticing a gap in the market where there was all you got briefbox you got all these platforms but briefbox one of briefbox briefs is just to design a luggage it has like um thingy van what's it called something van like an illustrator it has like he has him teaching how to use illustrate like an illustration tutorial and then you make a luggage tag I was like, that's not a brief. Yeah. That's literally a tutorial how to make a luggage tag. Yeah. Like, that's not, you can't do, you can't build a portfolio that way and go to an interview and use that as a way to get a job. So we wanted to basically tackle that and tackle this kind of culture. And our, if you actually subscribe to the, um, the, brief, the platform, you get a weekly brief and in it you have what your core de- audience demographic is what your it's basically the strategy has been done for you because usually what happens is a strategy is used to formulate a brief okay, yeah, all yeah, the research yeah. in the agency environment all the research is done to help you formulate what the brief is for the designers so mm-hmm. the tour so in our brief it's like the overview of the company the target demographic is this it's 50 percent women or like you know 60 percent women 40 percent female um or 45 percent female and five percent other um it has what deliverables are it's got multiple deliverables etc um, and all that just came about because um, when we were looking at our market positioning and when we were looking at our competitive research, no one was doing it. Everyone's got everyone's going for the easier approach, which is let's just get people to design singular things because you know what? It's easier to market and it's easier to actually like just um, um, showcase. Yeah. So we were just thinking, we just basically went, that's kind of bizarre no one's done it. So we're putting a lot of effort at the moment into actually developing those briefs and then um, we're currently building up the site to have like an evergreen educational arm, which is on the briefs. It actually has at the bottom four four um, resources we recommend trying out. So it could be like storyboarding or like you know mood boarding, um, color theory, etc. And we're basically generating articles to do with those, so they they link out. So it'd be like an article on how to create a successful mood board. Um, the basically the um, overview of what color theory is. So like you've got your tertiary, your primary, secondaries, yeah, monochromatics, yeah, yeah. etc. I've done like a massive, yeah, it isn't up yet, but I've done a huge article on like all these different, how to develop a color, color schemes basically. Um, and like I going back to what you, I was saying to you about like developing educational content, people don't need to necessarily f- compare us to something like Briefbox and go, oh, they look better. But what they have to do is trust that we know what we're talking about and that we're thought leaders. So they buy into the product. 
And that's really key is because what you're essentially trying to do is get a consumer to buy into you and who yeah. you are. And the best way to actually build trust is to develop content which has value and provides that value. Right, yeah, and also yeah. that content we're creating for the evergreen content is just stuff we're then going to dissect, turn into social content. We're going to develop um, a podcast. We're going to do loads of different things like that. But it all comes back to the idea of becoming a better designer. It's helped, like, That's what all the content we generate has to do. So if we're going to do an inspiration post on like Designers League do, um, or I did for them, you have like an inspiration post. Instead of it just being inspiration, it has educational things attached. So what? So let's say we take um, a project from like Ragged Edge, um, and then we go, this is what they did for their strategy, like an overview of their strategy. This is what they did. Or like You have like a few, like actually um, carousel slides which target that theme of education to help people understand the project better. And like we said earlier, to like have, um, to have knowledge is to have confidence is to have power. So to become a better designer, you have to make that person feel more knowledgeable to help build their confidence to then help them give them power to be able to generate a portfolio which is actually sellable. Yeah. And that's essentially what we're doing now. So it's actually quite a good example of how you can utilize sort of strategy to pinpoint yourself in a marketplace in a way that already exists, but maybe people haven't necessarily done yet. Actually, that's, um, I can't, what's his name? Um, Fabian Gearharter. Um, he owns yeah. a, I can't, I can never pronounce his last name, but he makes actually a really good point in his latest book that usually what you're actually looking for when you're setting off with like a new platform or product is look at what's already there and how it can be made marginally different in a very easy way. So there's a great um, stationery brand called Poppin that he uses as a reference and they're just a stationery brand. It's like, it's, a saturated marketplace there's so many types of like yeah. rulers in the world <laughs> all they did was notice that no one was doing customized stationery okay. and what they allow you to do is get pencil holders and rulers and rubbers and scissors all in your favorite what in your favorite color and that's it that's all they've done and it's like it's so simple and it's so genius and you can pick from like 10 colors nothing really innovative about it can you put a name on it it's just it's just literally like Oh, this exists. Why is no one doing this? And they've generated massive profits from this one little area just by taking an industry that already exists with an idea that already exists. Yeah. Well, not an idea, but like uh, the idea of customization has been around for decades. Yeah. But they've just applied it to a very um, boring industry. And that's the thing he actually says like, try and locate the boring industries and see how you can make them interesting because that's actually the quickest way you can generate yeah. success. Yeah, well, this, damn, this is a lot to think about this podcast. It's good. It's really good. Oh, yeah, you've got uh, to cut it up and actually like... Well, did that bit we just, we just did. Uh, definitely cutting that up. But yeah. there's, there's so much uh, so much good stuff in it. As, as you were saying all that, I'm trying to think about how the podcast is going to be portrayed and how it's going to be shown on social media and what can I do next and think about the other podcasts that are out there and, and how can I make that better and, and be different from them. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where, where a, this conversation... I think the, the key thing to remember is it's like it's a process and it's not something mm. that can necessarily be rushed. So like I said, about like two girls I'm working with at the moment, they were quite keen this week to jump into like the visual side of it. And I was just like, we haven't... You haven't even got your like mission statement yeah. sorted. Like, how do you know what to design if you don't know what you're actually trying to do? So I've, I said to them what we need to do. I've suggested actually they can potentially start to do it, but you actually develop a PDF of what your brand strategy is, so who you are, you know, what you go are. home and do this now. That's mean, but yeah, you, it's good, great. It's some, for, for designers, it's actually sometimes beneficial to go back to what they know best, and that is actually doing um, designing. And if you actually have like a PDF, which is here's my name with a tagline, 
and like after you, you have to do the research, but then it's like who are my core um, competitors in the marketplace. So if you look at like the podcast um, industry, who would you say are your core competitors? Yeah. What are they doing? What aren't they doing? What can you? How can that influence what you can do? Etc. Etc. Um, and then once you've got all that done, you can then kind of. I mean, you've already got your name and stuff, which is kind of good, and you've already been posting on social, so that's fine. It feels like what you actually need is because it doesn't aesthetics when it comes to that kind of stuff isn't a massive thing it's more you just need to work out well how you're positioning yourself and then how you can generate content which fits into that and it won't so it'd be good it's good fun that's why i want yeah. to it's why i want to move more towards it because it's much more about connecting dots which is how i like to work and i'm not someone who really enjoys slaving away on illustrator or indesign that much anymore mm. so be able to sit there with like just blank piece of paper it's and just a lot more thinking isn't it as well it's great uh, well, it suits my ADHD because my mind never stops, so I get to actually think a lot. <laughs> so you talk about burnout and, and mm. doing the same job, and I, I totally get it. Totally get where you're coming from with that by sitting at the same place, same day, uh, and next day, and the next day, and the next day. Yeah, very repetitive, and you get very tired of that. I get it, and it's. Well, it's also it's it, for me. It was very cultural, so I'm, yeah. I, I should have gone freelance like late last year, and um, I got made redundant again. Um, I wasn't happy at the time, so it wasn't a, a big issue for me. I got gardening leave for a month, which was always kind of nice. Um, but what I should have done is gone freelance at that point, and I bottled it. And say then, gardening leave. What? Say gardening leave. Yeah, yeah. So they call it gardening leave. Where you get like a pay, they pay your wage, but you don't have to be in the office. Oh. So yeah, it's quite. Gardening leave. It's quite it's good. A funny way. That's a funny term for, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It's yeah. like so you doing... get to sit and do gardening. Yeah. But um, but yeah, and I should have gone through and I said, but I bottled it because I just got nervous. And I, I actually, what was the worst thing I happened? I didn't give myself any time to actually think about, you know what I said at the start, like just then about like how you position yourself. I didn't actually give myself any time to do that. And I went straight into like setting an itinerary of what I was going to spend each day. And it was like apply for jobs, set up, sort of portfolio, blah, blah. Mm. And I got another job within five days of doing that. Um, so yeah, if anyone actually needs a job, I can help them get a job pretty easy, I think. But um <laughs> But then I went straight into it again. And then the new place I went to, I won't mention their name, but it was a um, really good culture. Work wasn't what I was that interested in, but it was like a lot of activation-based work um, for brands like Coke and Jack Daniels. Good good client names, but um, I was more interested in the culture at that point because I had quite a, like a lousy time. My last The culture in my last place wasn't that great. Yeah. So I went into there and then it rapidly, the, the culture completely vanished. Um, it became a very, very, very toxic environment to work in. Nobody was happy. Everyone was complaining at all times. Yeah. Um, my CEO had some clearly, like everyone pointed out, clearly had some very strange issues with me. Like he never, like I came back from holiday one time and he didn't speak to me for two weeks. And Jesus. he sat like the other side of the room and he wouldn't talk to me. Wouldn't get up to talk to me. He kept sending me emails um, to to give it feedback and it's stuff. Weird, isn't it? um, and now the agency is entirely women, so I think he's just a problem. He's got a problem with guys, um, but <laughs> but it's um, so but it's like it, it got to a point where I was so so miserable. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't actually told I'd done except for I think twice. I wasn't told I'd done anything a good job once. I was just like I was sort of quite downtrodden by the time I left. I didn't. I actually started to doubt my own abilities mm. quite heavily. Um, so I basically went in one day within 10 minutes i was being pulled apart for something i then said to i got up and asked my director for a chat and i was quit on the spot and said like my mental health isn't my mental health was awful at the time i was like mental health's not great but here's the actual funny thing is i got told afterwards that 
the management in the company were saying that I was leaving because of my mental health, not because of anything they've done. And it was that was that to me is kind of um, a systemic issue. Is that a lot of um, the, the ownership of problems that people have with staff? Like staff don't leave client like jobs; they leave management. No one's ever lost left a job because they said, oh, "I really can't stand working for Nike." Mm. They've gone, "I really can't stand Sandra because she makes my life hell." And that's that's the thing. I was they basically ignored the fact of why I'd left, which is because it was a really toxic environment that I was sick of dealing with. Yeah. Um, and by yeah, so I left and I had no com- I had a, very little confidence in my own abilities by that point. But luckily, I then got um because of a conversation I'd actually had a month prior with um, the senior designer at Vice, um they contacted me out of the blue and said, "Can you come in for three weeks?" Nice. Um, which was really good. So I went in and as first job being freelance was um, Vice UK in uh, Shoreditch. Worked with them for three weeks on like a host of like um, campaigns and social content, and I was given a lot of ownership to take lead because I had to as a freelancer. And by the end of it, I kind of realised I actually was good at what I did. I just spent too long in the environment, which didn't treat, didn't actually seem to recognise, didn't didn't really bring it out on me. Um, And I think that's a piece of advice for anyone going through a similar thing is it's always when you're in stuck in that kind of environment it takes a lot of courage to just be like i'm gonna i'm leaving mm. because you've got you have to worry about bills you have to worry about yeah, all these yeah. type of things at the time i had the lowest amount of savings i'd ever had oh, and yeah. um i my advice would be is just take the leap don't be scared leave your job if you're that unhappy and i guarantee you'll find another job quickly or you can always go freelance and work for studios mm. um but yeah, so I did that in the last three months. Then I got headhunted by Glug to go do their social strat- content strategy and copywriting. Been doing that a few days a week on like a sort of permalance kind of contract basis um, for the last like three, four months. Um, and alongside that, I've taken a bit more time for myself. I sort of said this next year is much more about like self-education, repositioning, nice. like actually not stressing myself out of money and just trying to focus a bit more on like enjoying like my time off for like doing yeah. three days a week or two days a week. Um, and alongside that, yeah, I've been working for like my own clients and studios and that weird enough, I went back to the studio, I interned out to do freelance, which was kind of cool. Um, and it's just so much happier. Like, honestly, like, I just think it's, if you're miserable in a job, it's just worth leaving because you don't know what the opportunities are until you've, you have to take those yeah, chances. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I've, I've, I found that the last, last job I had was just, it's just, I, I don't think I work sitting down at a desk after about six months, it's sort of. Yeah, it's good to do it right at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Turn it the right way. No, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good um, It'd be bad if we got off it and the, found out there was like no no audio. Yeah, I'm sure these two mics work. Yeah. So we're good. Uh, but yeah, I found exactly the same. It's, it's the repetitiveness of just not wanting to be there and not really. It's not exactly what you want to do. And it's it a headspace. Burnout is a headspace. It's not a lack of energy because you have to work so late hours and stuff like that. Like yeah, you have I coffee. Agree with that. It's like burnout is fundamentally a mental, a state of mental health, which creates such a toxic and negative feeling for your yourself and the environment you're in that you no longer feel you can base in that environment. Like I said, by the time I quit my job, I didn't want to work in design. I was mm. talking to my colleagues going, I think I'm just going to go off and do something very different from design and create the creative industries because I'm just so done with it. Luckily, I went to Vice and then Glug offered me an opportunity to go work on strategy and copyright which are two areas i hadn't actually worked in a professional manner with so it was like kind of still in the same zeitgeist but mm. in a separate manner in a very different manner um so that was kind of a nice reprieve um 
but yeah it's just like I think there's that misconstrued of being burnt out signifies I'm too tired to really do this anymore yeah it's not sad it's I don't think. definitely much more about I can no longer do this because yeah. I'm developing severe depression or anxiety over what I'm doing yeah and it's better to get out before it takes it, it, it like perpetuates because if you stay in that environment you're going to end up in a really bad bad place yeah you're right there's always money out there like freelance as average rate average rate for a freelance in the UK is about £263 most people charge 250 if you're like a midweight freelancer midweight like a senior freelancer um, yeah. oh no sorry it's that day rate for yeah. a studio so if you quit your job and you want to go work you can have capacity to go work in studios freelance yourself out at 250 a day and go work in studios pay your rent within like a week's of week of work so much more money than and then but that was the thing like the first it's not that I'm doing that now because I'm not I'm, like, I'm trying to make money a big thing but the first or second no because this is the other thing when you go freelance the first month you make no money because you have to invoice so you have no idea yeah, 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 first month. Days, but yeah. the second month I invoice for five grand and the most money I've ever earned in just one month mm. and I haven't done that since because I haven't really tried to but it shows like it, that was a big moment for me because that really signified just how much money was out there from not really trying and even to this day I still haven't really marketed myself that massively to like sheer sound freelance because I've had so much work and it just showed to me that I'd spent a year in an agency which didn't really I didn't feel really appreciated what I could bring and, didn't, mm. and just sort of doubted every choice decision I tried to make because I didn't really feel if for whatever reason um and then when you leave and you're getting paid pretty good money to do things that it really boosts your confidence so that I, I'm a big believer in like at least trying freelance even if it's just to like and working in studios like freelancing not as like an independent yeah. client but actually like for a lot of students sometimes the most obvious thing to do is become a junior freelancer charge you know 180 to 200 a day and go and actually become a junior freelancer and go work in studios in that capacity so they know what your skill level is but it, it exposes you to stuff that's a really good good point. I don't, I don't know if many people think about that during your freelancing job. Also, I've got an issue. A lot of people who work for themselves call themselves freelancers, but they're not freelancers. So I want to make it clear. Self-employed. Yeah, they're self-employed. So I want to make it clear that freelancers is what you're doing. It's where you, you, you work for pay yourself. Tax. Yeah, when you pay your own tax, exactly. And you work for yourself and then you go into a studio or go in somewhere, a client's office or something, and work yeah. for them in their space. Yeah. When you work for yourself and you're independent, you're an independent designer. Yeah, so that's the thing. So for me, no, like, the, and that's the thing. It's like, for me, I earn more money from actually going into studios and freelancing than I probably do for my independent client yeah. work. So it's, so that's yeah, the thing. It's, it's easier to say you're a freelancer, but the same way, if I was uh, spacing myself here and doing all my all my money was coming from independent clients and I was going in, you know, once or twice a month to a studio, I'd probably say I was an independent designer because yeah, I was yeah. making money from freelancing. But yeah, there's a definitely for graduates and young people in the being like working for your own clients is great gives you a lot more like flexibility but at that stage of your career trying to become like a bit more of a junior freelancer and going into studios would open you up to a whole new range of actually skills which might actually benefit you i also wouldn't maybe recommend if you've got the if you've got the um capacity or you've you know got the know-how going straight into becoming like an independent designer straight out of uni is an option or when you first enter industry but i'm did definitely benefit from like the five, six years I spent in agencies or five years I spent in agencies doing that because like I said, they might expose me to the amount of types of like problem solving a client and working with clients and commercialism and working with like animation and digital and print and branding um, means that now when I'm freelance, I can talk about all these areas in a, in a way that actually makes sense to the industry. Yeah. It's not something I've made up. It's actually, I know how the, the talk is used in the industry and with mm. like people. 
So that was that's something I bear in mind if you are thinking of leaving university or going into it and think, oh, I'm just going to be my own boss. The way you actually converse with like diet, like CEOs and marketing directors and people like that is a, there's a certain way to do it. And Again, you need to get you know, like, like we talked about, you need to do the research and understand, get that understanding from people yeah. who've done it. And it, that's the thing: if you're a junior to midweight in a studio, you have the protection of that studio. So if you go to a meeting and you observe it, and then you chip in and you say the wrong thing, you're still protected by that studio because then there's someone higher than you who can like clarify what you're saying. Mm. If you go to an independent meeting yourself with like a big client and you say the wrong thing, you are responsible for that. Like, if you don't know what you're saying, there's no one to cover your tracks or try to like articulate better, like articulate what you're saying to them. Yeah, I The book yeah. stops with you. Um, the pros and cons to both, and I think it's up to you to sort of decide, like I said, from the strategy, how you position yourself, what's best for your like direction. Yeah, yeah, I like it. That's good, it's been a good podcast, this. It's been really, really good, really useful for, for your young people and Pull myself as well. Shit, loads of content from it's it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be. Uh, so there's a couple of questions I'd yeah. like to ask you. Uh, I think we may have asked you a few of them last time. Um, my phone just had a message, so I don't know what it was. <laughs> Hopefully that's not still, uh, still going. Anyway, uh, your dream client, who would you really like to work for, for that you haven't worked for yet? Uh, um, if they're watching this. I would love to work for um, what are they called like ghost sports or like um, like the base engine of sports so you know like snowboarding surfing my yeah, yeah, yeah. so I grew up in the Lake District and like I did a lot of this I've always done a lot of those sports and for me working for a client like Rafa or Patagonia birds and snowboards yeah. like yeah. something that actually is about engaging with um, your environment in the purest sense um, obviously did that uh, snowboarding project for Divert Snowboards which um, I love doing and I'm so passionate about it and I think working for a client like that especially with Patagonia and they give away all their tax savings to like charities for yeah. like environmental reasons um, I'd love to work for a client like that that actually like pro- just provides freedom and sells freedom essentially what they're selling is like emotional freedom in the purest sense I think it'd be quite fun yeah it's good moral companies as well yeah, yeah. I like that uh, good. Hopefully they're listening. Hire <laughs> uh, me. What's your best purchase under a hundred pounds? I did ask you this last time. I, remember, I think. What I, did I say last time? I think it was the Draplin book. I think that's what you said. Jack Daniels. For under a hundred pounds. Yeah. I have to look back at what you said last time. Good question. I don't want it to be another book because I've I spent seventy five quid on books and they've all been super useful, but I think. I don't know if it's, it's a, I think it's a bit of a cop out to say a book because it's just like, it's so obvious. Um, cup of coffee, uh, I'll tell you, actually that's a good one. Um, going, buying a cup of coffee and going somewhere without any anything to do with design. Like, so I, I cycle to um, the Rafa coffee house in Soho quite a few, quite most Sundays. Yeah. And just going there by myself and having a cappuccino and just sitting there with no one talking about design or creativity and just being able to be there is actually a really good investment. It gives you time away to think. That's what people watch. People that watch. Gives, give, that's, I'll tell you what, that's a better one. Uh, the best um, investment for under £100 is something that will allow you to get away from the chaos of the world. Right. <laughs> Ah, there you go there you go for me it's a cup of coffee football maybe for me yeah I mean like football yeah. in the park cup of yeah. coffee basketball 
like movie ticket, like something that allows you to escape from the industry for a little bit because it's <laughs> good answer. It's a good answer. It's a hard world. It's like it's, yeah. you're living. Your designers living their heads the entire time, and it's a lot of noise. That's a really good answer. Uh, how do you want to be remembered? It's the last question. Mm, I like the memorable. Um, the colourful guy that tried to help people whenever nice. possible. Nice. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much. That's all right. It's been good. Good fun. Where can people find you on social media and check you out? Yeah, so um, <laughs> my website is bendesigns.co. Um, you can find me on Instagram, ben underscore designs. Um, you can find weekly design at weekly.design or by my website. And um, I've just started Twitter again, which is ben underscore designs. Uh, and that's it really I think that's a good tip try and keep all your handles the same yeah yeah do it makes it much easier and if anyone wants to just either meet up for a coffee hang out just chat about anything other than design feel free to get in touch with hey at bendesigns.co no I nailed it awesome thank you very much for listening to this episode of the creative waffle podcast I hope you learned something a bit more about brand strategy Uh, I know I did I know I got a lot of value out of this episode and hopefully when I get the Creative Waffle blog written back up, um, I'll put the key points down below uh, in, in the blog post. Because that could make a really, really quick, concise, interesting blog. Thank you very much to Ben for being on the show. Please do go and check him out, Ben underscore designs. And whilst you're on the internet, please do check out the Creative Waffle podcast live event. We're under a month away now, uh, so it's really important that I try and push this as much as possible. The links are down in the description. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Please do go and check it out. For five pounds a ticket, it's, it's worth just buying a ticket, even if you don't come along. No, it's worth it's really worth coming along to it because it's going to be an awesome event. So um, yeah, come along. We've got talks from Dixon Baxi, Tom Ross, Ian Barnard, and Doodlers as well. They've got Doodlers coming along. We've got Matt Roth, Geo Law, and Freya Betts coming along to do a live draw. The networking situation in that room is going to be amazing. There's so many other creatives, so many really really cool people to meet in that room. So come along, meet some some fantastic people, really cool artists and creators, and uh, have a great evening. And celebrate the third anniversary of the podcast together in one room. It'd be really, really nice uh, to see everyone there. So yeah, five, five pounds. Link down in the description. Um, check it out. That's London on the fifteenth of November, twenty nineteen. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of the podcast. Um, hope you found it useful. Uh, check out the other episodes of the podcast, and I'll see you next week for another episode of the podcast. See you then.